oftentimes the world we live in immediately you divide you divide the society you're, you're interacting with into the us and the them into these two groups where you are often kind tolerable understanding to people you consider an in-group member and you are completely the opposite to people you consider an out-group member welcome to on uninformed i'm sean cv On Uninformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. Today we're talking about Democrat versus Republican, Christian versus atheist, black versus white. The overarching issue here is something called tribalism. Joining us today to talk about tribalism is Elizabeth Gamara. Last time I saw her, I shared the stage with her at TEDx Salt Lake City last fall. I enjoyed her talk so much that I wanted to hear a little bit more of where that came from. She's joining us from Madrid, Spain. Elizabeth Gamara, welcome to Ununinformed. Thank you, Sean. So before we jump into things, I kind of want to go back to the last time I saw you face-to-face. It was at TEDx Salt Lake City. I did my talk, you did your talk. And then, if I'm not mistaken, right after you got on a plane, right after the event, and never came back. Is is that right? <laughs> yes, yes, indeed it is. I went. I got on a plane to Madrid, Spain. I had recently been notified. I I got a Fulbright, which is a grant that would offer me an opportunity to go abroad for a year. Yeah, and it was exactly that same day. And I have been living in Spain, yeah, for about a year now, and will be ending my grant soon, actually. Oh, that's so cool. Tell me a little bit more about the whole Fulbright thing. It's it's, and I I understand you're teaching as well. Is that right? Yes, yes, indeed. I am teaching at IE University, which is a very international university here in Madrid. A Fulbright, in essence, it started after World War II, actually, yeah. when Senator James William Fulbright decided um, to create a program where the United States could foster better relationships with other countries around the world, mm-hmm. and so. Throughout the years, um, a number of different countries have opened their doors, and every year, a number of Americans go to countries for in throughout Europe and other like in South America, another country and other continents as well to go and either teach, do research, or study. So for me, I was particularly interested in teaching as well as doing um, research on in, in in the topics that I'm interested in. Oh, cool. Well, let, let's jump into tribalism. So. Yes. And, and and it seems like your experiences will kind of help out in this conversation, but we'll get more on that later. But let's first talk about tribalism. What is tribalism? So, so tribalism is, in that sense, how we decide to group ourselves and build out our identity within this tribe, right? But first, we, we've got to define what is a tribe. And in in essence, it's a group of people that feel somehow connected to to one another in some sort of meaningful way. And you could see it through people building these tribes through ethnicity, culture, religion, sports. And this type of connection puts people in a group that helps them make this distinction of us and them. But this connection also influences our behavior and attitudes in many different ways when we really begin to identify ourselves with a tribe. And this is where you often get modern tribalism, which is the idea of how tribal psychology influences the way we think today. Okay, yeah, modern tribalism. Can you go a little bit more into that? 
Yeah. Um, so modern tribalism, we see it every day. Um, oftentimes the world we live in, immediately you divide you divide the society you're, you're interacting with into the us and the them, into these two groups where you are often kind, tolerable, understanding to people you consider an in-group member and you are completely the opposite to people you consider an out-group member. So you might be less tolerant, less understanding, less empathetic. Um, the problem with this is that the people that are within your um, circle that you consider an us um, are treated better than the people you consider an other. And you also get this very well-known distinction of you're good, you're bad, you're right, you're wrong. And then judgment becomes a big a big factor within this type of scheme. Tribalism. What, let's get into kind of like where this comes from. Yeah. yeah. It, well, there's so there's so many different theories around how it starts and why it starts. Um, you have kind of two two people on two different opposites of the spectrum, where some believe that um, it really is biological. Uh, very well known neuroscientist, American neuroscientist, Dr. Robert Sapolsky, talks about this phenomenon. He writes the book "Behave: The Biology of Humans at Our Best and Worst," and he says that it is very biological because. Um, the more we interact with people we consider an in-group member, um, the greater, the more dopamine we have, which is a well-known neurotransmitter. And whenever we consider, we, we interact with people we consider the other, the dopamine, um, does the opposite effect. So we're, we're less, um, we're less, uh, open and less considerate of those. Um, but he does argue, well, many people disagree with him and agree with him, but he does argue that you can trick your mind. For instance, if you see a person um, who, just a person in the street, you'd be he he or she would be the other. But as soon as that person puts on your favorite football hat or your favorite, um, I don't know, any like your favorite sport or something like that, that automatically considers that person in us and so you have people like him who say we, we can trick our mind to to really play with this dynamic but you also have others who go on this other spectrum and cite psychologists like john john piaget who is um, a very well-known psychologist in the field of cognitive development and he says that um in order to find a group we first start with ourselves as a children we find ourselves individually and then we clump ourselves into groups and that is what dominates the way we decide to group ourselves so you have kind of and you have other people who believe it really is influenced by a couple other factors that um, you don't have any control over in terms of how it starts there's not really a concrete answer but it all of them all of these people in in terms of whatever they believe um, really come to the idea that it all boils down to having the sense of belonging um, that people are going to be gravitating towards a group that they've that they share something in common with does that make sense yeah in fact when you're talking about this dopamine i think of like okay people when i want to feel comfortable i know exactly who to go to these certain friends or people in my church group or Mm -hmm. uh, people that are that, that yeah there's a, those people and i and i could think of some examples of of people that I don't feel comfortable with. Um, but but rather than my examples, I kind of want to see where do you see tribalism in society? I see it everywhere. I think we see <laughs> yeah. it in politics, religion, when we talk about ethnicity. Some really quick examples is sure. the elections right now in the United States, the oh, yeah. situation with Brexit, um, the refugee crises, 
um, you're also going to see it a whole lot with the World Cup. <laughs> people putting in the the kind of putting in the shirts that represents the countries that they that they want to win. Um, but actually, because I've been living in Spain, one of the kind of one of the examples that best best illustrates this has been Catalonia's cry for independence. Oh yeah, um, which has been um, an incredible way to kind of see this in action and play out in the larger scheme of things. So right now in Spain, there's this idea that um, Catalonia wants to separate from, from Spain. And you get people on two sides. You get people who say, um, you cannot separate from Spain because there is strength in unity. And it'll definitely ruin um, our economy. And then you get people on the other side who believe that they should be separated because um, it's it's to have because they they'd like um one has to have with empowerment and two they want to be autonomous they they want to have their own system and be recognized by the European Union but when it becomes dangerous is when it becomes very polarized when those people um in whatever side they're in don't don't at all build space to have some dialogue and you go you, you would i think a couple of months ago you'd go out in the street and you'd see uh people um, in their houses with their balconies having the uh, flag of Spain versus having the flag of Catalonia as a representation of kind of what side they're on. And in my opinion, the situation in Spain is, it, it has to do a lot with the previous civil war. And I think the separation at this point is more about principle than it is about feasibility. But it's a very, um, it's a very interesting situation because Depending on who you ask, depending on who you interact with, I think you you get that you get that response. And and for me, I'm 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 neutral. I don't identify as Spanish, and I also don't feel like I have the right to come in and say, "Well, this is my opinion," because it isn't my country, right? Mm-hmm. But I but my role truly is to understand both sides. Wow, and I th- I really like some of the things you brought up there. I I kind of want to ask this: what what's the difference between just picking your team? whether it's for Catalonia or for the World Cup, and, like, becoming, like, a tribe? Like, when does it become good or bad? Like, what what's the line? Right. So you can you can definitely go pick pick your tribe pick the pick the side that you're on the the where it gets really dangerous as i mentioned is when it becomes polarized when you go to the to the when you go to the extreme when you go to the point where um there is no possibility or opportunity for dialogue there is no chance to kind of see meet the other where they're at um that's where it begins to get um to get dangerous because we can we can we can disagree on a number of topics but if i am very closed to kind of hearing you and working it out then then that's where it becomes problematic because both both of them both um catalonia and spain are going to be needing to work together both of them are going to be needing to stay in communication um it's not like um, after the referendum or, or or any other actions, we're going to separate and not talk to one another. Um, it, they're still going to need each other. Like like Democrats need Republicans. Like atheists <laughs> need Catholics. It, it it goes it goes back to that. And the 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 political scene, like polarization. The first thing that comes to mind is Democrat versus Republican. That's like the first thing. Maybe because that's like what I'm hearing on the news. That's what's always bothering me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I, I've even thought about it when I've, maybe I'm becoming tribal when I'm saying, you're so stupid for being polarized. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that, did, it's so hard to not be um, in a tribe, I guess. Yeah. 
it it is it's human nature right and one of the things is we shouldn't really think about getting rid of this tribe like tribalism mentality because if we think of getting rid of them or overcoming this it would be nearly impossible to do because the moment you see someone in in seconds you put them in one of these two groups so thinking that i will stop uh grouping people into groups and be more open that no that that's not going to work i think on the other hand on the contrary um you the best thing to do is become aware of it right and Mm. cherish the opportunities you have to kind of see both sides because those are very unique and um often really not common common experiences when you get to see kind of both sides in a fair balanced way and so it really isn't about getting rid of it but um, recognizing it and recognizing it and and trying to find um and trying to find different opportunities to 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 let others recognize it as well and i think you're doing it perfectly with with this particular podcast with the mission of this podcast which is to become informed <laughs> of a number of different issues right yeah. and not just stay with the mentality that you have but go go beyond that and and ask people question question ideas question um the philosophy of where they're coming from oh. I, thanks for the plug. Uh, un- uninformed, <laughs> you know. Uh, I and I think that's why I enjoyed this um, this topic of tribalism because it seemed to encompass everything I've ever talked about, especially mm-hmm. anything controversial. You try, understanding tribalism really puts it into perspective. Mm-hmm. So here's another example of something I've been thinking about is, and you mentioned atheists versus Christians or Catholics or something religion. Let's talk about how you've seen tribalism in religion. Yeah. So religion is a very interesting, um, interesting topic. I think in in the, in this particular, in this particular scheme of things, Um, religion is actually how I got interested in, in tribalism in the first place. Really? When I was, uh, I was born in Peru and then as a little girl, my parents decided, obviously, to migrate to to the states because of uh, job opportunities my father had established. And in the states, growing up, I grew up as as Mormon, and it was an experience where I, the people I hung around with, the people I listened to, the people I went to school with, everywhere in my circles, identified the same way as I did, or the majority of people did. Not until I was a little older. Um, did I have the chance to to go back to Peru um, almost every year and then through all their academic opportunities go to other states in the United States? And that's when I realized kind of the us and them mentality that I had established because outside Utah, um, the state that I call my home, right. um, not everybody, not everybody identifies with my particular faith. In fact, in Peru, being Catholic is actually uh, is the dominating religion. And so... Right. Uh, interacting with people who do have similar beliefs but do not identify with that particular with my particular beliefs was very difficult to experience because you went from one end of everybody I knew everybody in my circles to almost nobody in the room who even who even knew where I was coming from and then you would go to other states in in the United States and they'd have a completely other different culture and the funny thing was when I was when I was growing up the people I interacted with and I had these um, trips and my family identified at the other way of the spectrum, which was atheists, yeah. people who did not at all believe in a higher power. And so that's where it really, really sparked where I asked myself, well, am I really in a bubble? And um, and 
is this um, idea of me identifying the way I am creating this us and them? Because I'd often catch myself saying, well, they, those people, they believe they're not like me. And, and really had to, and, and my, and I think it was my mom at the time, she stopped me and said, well, well, you need to recognize that, that those people, that they are our family, are our friends. And so, um, it really, it really sparked, it really got that, um, spark in me. And then it really went to other, commu- um, kind of the other identities that I carry with me, which is, um, that I come from the Latino community, that I enjoy certain hobbies. And so with, with religion in general, I think it gets very, get very, it gets very tricky because I think we, it ties back to our values, right? It's something that is so close to our hearts and something so personal that whenever we might feel like somebody can, can disregard that, we automatically feel closed and, not uh, open to to hearing them out. For example, um, people who who might identify more in the spirituality sense of they don't believe in in they don't necessarily believe in in a higher power, but believe in this type of energy. That's something that I myself had to had to stop myself from closing and kind of uh, ask the question, "Tell me more," and kind of tie it back to to the how it ties to my beliefs and, and the larger scheme of things. Yeah, the religion thing is interesting because. Me growing up as a Utah Mormon, and I, I've realized I've fallen into a trap sometimes where it's just like, oh man, those you know those Mormon haters, and we we start saying all these right. bad things about the Mormon ta- haters, and right. I realize I was pointing the f- finger, and I think that's I think that's tribalism. Exactly, exactly, and and I'm I'm really interested in tribalism in terms in relation to reconciliation. Um, one of my favorite uh, mentors and scholars, George Forlis, says that a central challenge in most reconciliation efforts is motivating the conflicting parties to engage in this in, in conversation or a meaningful dialogue um, by the fact that the person might have one sole perspective or the lack of contact that they have with the other. And so it's exactly what you said. We need to go past this idea of um, blaming one another and pointing fingers at one another and really come back and center ourselves to an understanding that we all have basic human needs, right? We all need food, shelter, and we all need a sense of belonging. And that's that's when reconciliation plays a role because then we can understand how even though we have this us and them mentality, we can um, by understanding the same simple basic human needs of a human being, we can become a collective we. Not maybe a perfect collective we, but a collective we that understands things like violence or the imbalance of power or can uh, maybe shares a common understanding of um, good in the world. For instance, Sean, do you agree with everyone you've interviewed in this particular podcast or everyone you've met over the course of your life? (laughs) Well, hey, you turned the tables on me. Now I'm answering the question. Um, Here we go, though. But of course not, especially like with the podcast. It's been really interesting to embrace some views that I'm not originally um, comfortable with. And I think it's been interesting to, yeah, have some conversations. They've been uncomfortable, but some uh, the result has been really interesting. And from this result, do you feel like you've been able to kind of gain this neutrality or is it still very difficult to to go on to one or the other sides? I, I think just having this podcast has helped me be a little more level-headed because a lot of times I'm like, oh, I'm going to have this guy on the show. They're going to tell me this and just validate what I already knew. But sometimes <laughs> it hasn't been that way. And I've exactly. been really surprised to learn these new things. Um, I think a good example, for me, I had a podcast about racism 
Um, it was, this was an African American and she's talking about some of the experiences she had. And I, I knew the conversation would be a little bit uncomfortable because sometimes white people like me want to say that there's no such thing as racism. And I even brought it up. I'm like, well, are we getting better? And she's like, actually we're not. And for me, for me, I wanted her to say, yes, we're getting better. Yes, this is a thing of mm-hmm. the past back in the 1970s, but it's not. And for me, it was the the podcast was, was interesting because it made me listen and uh, it made me ask questions. That I definitely changed my views, having that conversation. That experience in and of itself embodies this idea of going beyond the, the tribe that we've had, right? And one of the things that a lot of scholars shed light on is that in order to to get to the place you got is actually understanding that the group that we belong in has a fixed identity but we need to develop ourselves past this group identity so we can draw a line and become aware of of the of our surroundings and avoid this type of polarization and so i personally really enjoyed your example i think racism in general you see it a lot in any anywhere and everywhere in the world right and you also see it a lot within the latino community actually yeah um people within our community um looking at other ethnicities um kind of or treating other ethnicities in a very in a very cruel way you see it you see it everywhere and so um i definitely feel like it's um it's a subject very related to this yeah a thing that i've noticed and that's come become more that I've become more aware of is every time I talk about the one problem it I'm, I'm always able to see wait it goes both ways like you're saying sometimes people of color have their own um biases against other people and so it's not it's it's not just a one-way thing and sometimes mm-hmm. we use that as a justification to to say that we're, that we've really overreacted to the problem but talk about it going both ways i i'm just interested of what you think about that so Here. for example when i reference the latino community within our latino community um, there is this hierarchy of uh, peruvians on one side uh, colombians on this other venezuelans on this other people from argentina on this other and within our own community we're very racist and judgmental we feel like um this particular community is less than us or this particular community is more than us and what you also see you see a lot is this idea of light skin privilege within hispanics um because people with with lighter skin or more fair for fair skin still identifying as latino um are treated very, very well different than other people within my community who, who share more of a darker complexion. Yeah. And it's very interesting because in this, in, in the, the way we go about or the way we interact, it's a lot of people with light skin privilege within my community don't, don't recognize it. Um, they say, well, I'm Latina in general. I'm a person of color. When, when in fact, no, they do benefit from, 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 from the complexity of their skin. And it, and without and not recognizing this comes back to the problem of of not recognizing things to do to better to kind of better balance out the situation right and it becomes this us versus them again with us putting or with people putting um one another into a group and putting the other people into a group um another big layer i think you see a lot in my community is there are a lot of conservative republicans latino 
uh, Latinos living in my state. And I've actually met a number of them. And I actually... I interviewed one of them. (laughs) Oh, perfect. I actually... A number of them are my mentors, are people I admire deeply and care about deeply. Um, A number number of the opportunities funded um, that have permitted folks like me and my friends and professors I know go abroad and do research and go to conferences have been funded by by these by people who are extremely conservative and to some extent you're like this contradicts you're you're funding me to go do this but you don't believe in this but I think we should go past that right about understanding how um, understanding and getting to know the person as a person first and not creating these little tribes or these little groups um, but but seeing that from that perspective a little more and so um, that's what I've taken most out of this I don't think the solution is getting rid of it but but embracing it and one of the things um kind of in, if we think about solutions is getting to know people who are on this other side of the of the table right yeah. so Carl proper he's a famous philosopher of science says that one of the things we should always do is look for information that contradicts our viewpoint <laughs> and it, it's obviously, obviously going to be painful, but it's the only way that we ensure that we are learning and that we're growing. And that is so I, and this is why it's necessary to engage in dialogue with people we don't agree with. So, so with people who identify either conservative or maybe liberal or anywhere within that, yeah. I make sure that I, I at least surround myself with them and make each of them my mentors because all of them, despite their, their views on, on issues or topics can still bring something to me and I can still understand because if I, if I have those in, if I have them in my circles, then in the next conversation I'll be in, I'll be more critical about, um, about certain topics. I'll be more curious and I'll also be more aware in case there's some misconception going on. You were saying you went out of your way to find a, a, a mentor that was different than you. No, so many. I have so many people, I think, more friends who disagree with me than friends who agree with me. <laughs> that, um, that seems like the opposite to nor- normal uh, normal standards. That's the opposite <laughs> of a friend, right? <laughs> well, well, I think it goes, I don't think we need to agree on, on everything. Um, yeah. I, for instance, I admire a number of people who identify in the, the more conservative end who really um, are within circles or initiatives that that want to understand policy on a deeper level, that want to engage with communities that are not their own. So I've been very intentional about finding people who do not agree with me. Um, there's a famous quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's like, we are the, you are the average of the five people you hang around with the most. <laughs> and I personally don't want to be the average of five people that agree with me 100%. I want there to be a mix of people who disagree with me, who could challenge my ideas, which actually makes you even more of a stronger um, a stronger scholar or a stronger person in general because then those ideas will spark kind of more curiosity you'll become more informed you become you'll become more um more motivated to go and not only look and read the um the guardian or the new york times or watch this news outlet you'd be more you'd be more open to other sources great yeah well give me some more solutions i i think our audience needs as many as we can because i feel like tribalism addresses politics it addresses a religion yeah. I think we want solutions. <laughs> well, besides becoming getting to know people on a reciprocal level, yeah. uh being humble, right? Going back to the basics of being humble and recognizing that um 
you don't know everything. Yeah. At least everybody that you'll get to meet today, tomorrow, will know something that you don't. And taking that from a humble perspective point where, um, as I mentioned in my talk, rather than saying, I know this because I've I've done this. I know this because I've taken a class or I've I've read so many articles on this. You go and stop and say, no, I need to know more about this. I, I really don't know. Teach me. Um, I think that becomes a really key critical moment. But to do this not... Not in a way that we're like, yeah, I need to be more humble, but doing it in a genuine way. Again, with your podcast, you do this. You do this throughout everybody they've interviewed. Um, you don't say, well, let me tell you, I know all about this. You <laughs> add, you ask open-ended questions, and and you 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 become informed in the sense of first recognizing that the very first step is to be humble. Um, and I think with with humbleness, we struggle a lot because I think in society, it has become this weak spot. If you're humble, you're weak. Right. If, you, um, if not, you are bold. And <laughs> I think little by little, we need to reverse that because you can still be humble and very bold. You can still be humble and very confident. And so there are so many unique opportunities every day where, where you could have a conversation. And it doesn't need to be through an interview. It could be on the on the bus, right. um, waiting for the train. It could be on your way to getting coffee. Um, so those little instances and appreciating them a little bit more. And then I think the last thing would be uh, don't be lazy with staying informed, right? Okay. Um, you don't be lazy about saying, okay, I'm going to read about this news topic tomorrow because there's so many things that go on in the world every day yeah. that the thing that you're going to read tomorrow has already passed. And so not being lazy about about going about creative ways to to um, bridging this us and them idea or mentality inside your head. For example, something something that I do almost every month is create a list, create a list of the things that I've, I've, I've learned and I've gained insight on. But the things that I myself recognize that I'm still stubborn and only have this one side perspective and make it my goal for that for, the, for that month, I'm going to engage in little conversations or little questions or talk with people um, to open my mind a little bit more and see things through, through a different line. Okay? Yes, I've definitely thought about this one because I think I have a lot of friends that they see the polarization in politics and in all the or religion and they just stay out of it so so with religion it's like well i'm done with religion because people always fight over it and politics it's like i I, politics just makes people angry so i'm just going to turn myself off from all news media (laughs) right and and that is i think human nature to do that initially i think you could do that initially um but at the same time I think you're contributing to the problem if you do that because you then become somebody isolated with also a very narrow mindset because one thing is to be, I think it's better to be over-informed or informed than not to be informed at all, right? Um, Because I think that puts you in a, if you're informed just a little bit or if you're interacting with these different channels just a little bit, you kind of have a direction of, of what other questions you want to ask about or the things that you're curious about to, to, to gain a larger perspective. But if you isolate yourself, I think that's when it becomes very problematic in terms of um, open, turning on the news and the very first thing you hear that maybe is very, is very tied to emotion is what you're going to believe and what you're going to be at or stay at. And there's this very, um, the, uh, you've, you've probably heard about it, the, the veil of ignorance, right? This idea by, by Rawls, he says that if you close your eyes for a little bit and believe that there's a veil 
in this new society that you're going to enter and that this in this veil you don't know about who you are whether you're atheist catholic female male um rich poor healthy sick and you go into the society without knowing um and there are different kind of policies put in place whether you have to vote yes or no you kind of be in the middle right you you wouldn't choose a policy that could affect you because you don't know who you are and you wouldn't choose a policy that wouldn't affect you because you still you don't know who you are and so you'd be kind of more neutral and so how that ties back to being in isolation is imagine if you are in isolation and you go into this new society without knowing who you are and they, they put these policies in front of you because you've been so isolated i think if whatever choice you make would be so uninformed and so yeah. um unaware of everything um there was this very viral video i don't know if you've heard about it about a basket a group of basketball players playing a game and they tell the people to keep track of the score and then right in the middle of uh, of them keeping track of the score a gorilla comes out and beats oh his chest. that one yeah. yes and then the gorilla walks out and almost i think 85 percent of the people um, or a vast majority of people did not even notice the gorilla at all. And I'm, and I say this example in this particular context because I think, I think we're often focused on the things we are dedicated to that we are doing on our jobs, on our daily tasks, and we miss those opportunities to identify and celebrate the differences of, of, um, ideas, the differences of philosophies, the diversity around us. And I think we're, we are often like the people keeping track and tallies and we, we don't we don't see that when it's very obvious. A gorilla beating his chest is very obvious, right? Yeah, I remember following um, the ball so closely and I, I missed the gorilla on that one. I do. Exactly. I, I missed it too. And and I think that puts a really interesting take on, on how things are so obvious and things are so um, open as an opportunity for you and, and be curious and ask and question but we miss it because we're so concentrated. We might be very isolated. We're so concentrated on the things that that interests us at that moment, right? We don't I think about the maybe the diversity around us. And diversity doesn't even need to be ethnicity, honestly. It could be yeah. diversity of thought, diversity of philosophy, diversity of of, of things like that. Um, it doesn't. It's not necessarily just ethnicity. Um, but yeah, that's the example that I personally remember that really yeah. speaks to that really speaks to me. Elizabeth Gumara, this has been such a great conversation. I really feel like, like I said before, this encompasses all the big issues I've been trying to cover on the podcast right here on our podcast about tribalism. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Sean. That was Elizabeth Gumara who joined us from Madrid, Spain. If this conversation made you think, good. Now, go subscribe to Ununinformed in your podcast app. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our theme music is provided by Dee Dee Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Un Uninformed. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.